be picking up in Proverbs chapter 6 tonight. Whew. You guys know I've had a day. First time I've ever actually overslept for work. I've slept in where I've had to rush and get to work before. And working from home is a little bit easier. I just don't have any traffic. I just have to get downstairs and on the computer. But today I actually overslept. And I slept in the guest room because it was quiet. And uh, I just been able to sleep down there lately. So I woke up and it was still dark because the guest room's kind of in a half basement. And I thought it was before my alarm went off. And I'm like, okay, I'll get up and uh, I'll go to the bathroom and I'll see how much time I have to get to work. And it was after nine and I usually start at 7.30. <laughs> so uh, thankfully my boss was very gracious with me um, and it wasn't a big deal. And uh, I've been putting in extra hours this week anyway. So it all kind of, it more than nets out. But that being said, I've been rushing all day, and I'm glad to actually be able to slow down here uh, and get into the Word uh, together. So, uh, God, as we read your Word, please feed us and minister to us. And God, would somehow, by your Spirit, would you speak through me as only you can, and let us hear what you would have to say, what the Spirit says to the church, as, as you say in Revelation. In Jesus' name, we love you, God. Amen. Proverbs chapter 6. Remember, Proverbs mostly written by Solomon. A few other wise guys in there as well. And uh, Solomon speaking to his son and giving good sonly and really, I think, good advice for everybody, sons and daughters. And last week we started looking at uh, staying away from, you know, uh, people who might have a, a foul interest in you, people who aren't wise, uh, staying away from those past, but really to, that we need to take hold of wisdom and hang on to it. So let's start out in Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll see where we get. My son, again, if he says my son, he's speaking to his son, but I think you can be a little liberal and say my daughter or whoever you are. But my son, I love hearing that. I love being called the son. My son, if you put up a security for your friend, if you have shaken hands with a stranger, you are snared with the words of your mouth. You are taken with the words of your mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver yourself. When you have come into the hand of your friend, go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself as a doe from the hand of a hunter and as the bird for the hand of the fowler. So he's saying to his son, if you've put up security for your friend, if you've put down a deposit, if you've put down money, if you've put your word on the line for a friend, uh, if you have made a deal with someone you don't know, a stranger, um, if you've written your name down on a piece of paper on a legal document, and it's not godly, you know, the Bible says to be equally yoked, not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? Because if we're unequally yoked, right, you picture two oxen put together, and they're trying to go in the same direction, right? You're going to have to go in the same direction as that other person, whether it's in life or it's in marriage. So that's why it's so important as believers, we only get into the most intimate relationships. We only get into the most legally binding relationships with people who are going the same direction spiritually as us. That means if it's your spouse, they need to at least be a believer. If not, they need to be of the same mind as you are spiritually, right? You can have disagreements about what color to paint the wall, about what you should have for dinner, what your favorite food is, right? Shower curtains, like my wife and I are discussing shower curtains, and she has to default to me because, you know, my job is color and coordination, right? But 
when it comes to spiritual things, we're of the same mind. We both want to serve the Lord. We both want to follow the Lord. We both want to go after the Lord. Now imagine if she wasn't. She'd be wanting to go out and do wicked things that I could have nothing to be a part of, but I'd be dragged into it somehow, and she'd be dragged. It just would not be a good relationship. We'd be unequally yoked, and that's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says that about relationships with unbelievers. I can remember having good friends at, when I worked at the elevator company back in the day, and they were believers, and yet I liked them. They were very smart, but I can remember wa wanting to get into business with them, and we wanted to start our own offshoot of stuff we were doing at our work. At the time, the elevator company, we called it the Titanic, and people were jumping ship. We had a little picture on the whiteboard of people getting off the elevator company. We were trying to plan our way out. Meanwhile, I was going to be there for five more years or something. But I remember reading this verse and going, I have to get out of this. I can't be unequally yoked with these guys. As much as it was, as painful as it was, and unfortunately, it was a little damaging to our friendship because I was kind of part of this thing. But I had to get out of it. And why? Well, maybe I could have helped them out on the side, but it turned out that, you know, a lot of things we'd be doing would be taking some of the stuff we were working on at the elevator company. It would have been working while we're working at the elevator company, you're working on this other stuff. And it just wouldn't have been honest. Should if we had all left, maybe I would have worked for them or with them, but I don't know that I would have been on the same business with them, you know, 33.3% share with unbelievers, because if they want to do even if everything was above board, one, one day a decision might come where they're going to want to go another way. It also comes down to putting money into things like loans, right? I can remember wanting a nice car when I barely had work. I wasn't responsible. I couldn't even keep my room clean. And I tried going to the car dealer to get a little sports car when I was 20 years old. And I couldn't get it, and I tried to get my mom to co-sign for me, and she wouldn't co-sign for me. Part of me is like, Mom, you should have just co-signed for me and dealt with it. The other part is, I get it. I wasn't showing myself responsible. If she had co-signed for me, well, maybe I would have been good. But if I wasn't, she would have been on the hook for the loan of that car. She would have been on the hook for the payments. Her credit would have been on the line if I defaulted and skipped town and was irresponsible, right? There was, there was no evidence of that. So he's saying, if, even if you got a good friend, don't sign on the dotted line for them, right? Uh, the, the Bible also says in Proverbs, the borrower is servant to the lender. When you take out a loan, when you go into credit card debt, when you owe somebody money, the Bible says that you really become their servant. You become their slave. Ever, you know, ever see a mob movie? <laughs> They're, you got to do whatever you got to do to pay them back. And until you pay them back, you got to do whatever they want you to do. Um, you know, they're going to hold it over your head. And the Bible says it all possible. Not that there's anything wrong with responsible loans, responsible mortgages, things of that nature that have collateral and everything behind them. But be very careful about who you sign on the dotted line for, whether that's professionally, whether that's personally, um, especially as a believer, because it can tarnish your witness for Jesus, right? You don't want to get dragged into the wrong thing and be a bad witness. You don't want your name associated with the wrong thing and drag the Lord's name through the mud. So he says, Go as quickly as if you've done this, if you've gotten yourself in trouble like this, get out of it. I can remember reading this and getting really convicted by it. Back when even I was getting involved in leaving my job to go be on paid ministry at the church we were at. Not that the church was doing anything wrong, but God had a different plan for me and I had to get out of it. I knew that this isn't what God wanted me to do at that time. And so I ended up having, I read this verse at night and I called up my friend in the morning like, hey, 
I can't do this. I can't be on staff full time. I need to work at this other job as well. And it's not that I didn't have faith. It's that I could tell the Lord didn't want me to do it. And he brought this conviction on it. And he was trying to convince me that, oh, you're just having a panic attack. You're just overthinking. You're overworked. I'm like, no, I know when God is speaking to me. And this is what he was telling me to do. And, and not too much long later, everyone came off staff of the church. And the church didn't have anybody on staff anymore. And, uh, you know, and the church was doing fine at the time, too. It was just something that God was doing something. And wanted me to still be a part, but not a part in that way. So give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friends. Like a deer escaping from a hunter, do whatever you can. Go as fast as you can. Get out of it. And, and one last anecdotal story. I can remember uh, when, I, when we first moved here and I needed a car. We only had Ash's truck. Uh, I went up and I found this uh, Dodge Ram up in Missoula. And it was 23,000 miles. It was a good price. Uh, it was flashy. Uh, but two things are wrong with it. One, it smelled like smoke. And two, the back doors, it was only like those half doors on a pickup, so it wasn't the full depth. And I was so enamored with, I was so tired from going up there and just everything that was going on at the time. The salesman was getting me to look at it. And I was so enamored with it being so low miles and a good price and never having a car that low miles before. I was excited and I signed on the dotted line. I took the truck home. But boy, was I convicted. And I had to, to suck it up and be humble and I called the dealer in the morning. I called them in the morning and they let me out of the deal, no problem. I ended up buying the other truck that I had been shopping with as well. So could I, uh, the problem is I didn't have any negotiating room then. So maybe it cost me $1,000 in negotiating with the other one. Uh, but overall, it was better to lose my negotiating power on the other car. And I got a Dodge Ram that was fine. It had four doors. It was what we needed at the time. I could afford it at the time. Um, and it didn't smell like smoke. So I didn't, you know, I had myself convinced I was going to get the smell of smoke out. Even if I did, it still didn't have enough room in the back for the kids as it came along. And the other car worked out better. But my point is, do whatever you got to do. If you know you're stuck in the wrong thing, God always gives you a way out. And sometimes that way out is, as they say, you got to eat crow. So let's go on. Verse 6. This is a good one. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I love that word, sluggard. Like, you're not just lazy, you're a sluggard. Uh, you know, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You know, that there is wisdom to be had just by looking out in the animal kingdom. That Solomon, one of the wisest men in the world, says, my son, look at that ant. You know, we have fire ants around here. We have little guys around here. Look at them. That there's no king ant. There's a queen that lays egg, but they just know to go out and do things. Same thing with bees. They just get up, they go out, and they work all day, and they come back, and then they go out, and they work all day. They provide what they need to do. No one needs to tell the bees, go to work today, bee. It's just a part of being a bee. And so, hey, lazy person, hey, sluggard, hey, teenager who won't get out of bed, even look to the animals and gain some wisdom. When it's time to gather, they gather. When it's time to plant, so to speak, they plant. That they are prepared for themselves and they work hard, right? Of course, God looks over the animals. God takes care of us, right? Uh, but what does Paul say? If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what it says in Thessalonians. Some people are looking, oh, Jesus, come back. It don't matter. I don't need to work. I don't have a job. No, no, no. The church is not going to take care of you. God gave you ability to go out and work. And that's how God's going to take care of you. Not that you're doing all the right things. You're following the Lord. Um, you know, or circumstances happen where you're going to be in need. 
you know, there's been times where I've been in need and God's used the generosity of others to take care of me. There's nothing wrong with that. But being dependent on that, being unwilling to work, being unwilling to do the responsible thing, that what God would say, you're being a sluggard. And that's not godly. You need to go out and be responsible and work hard. Um, you know, there's a bouncer. Even Paul, I was reading, recently talking to Timothy about widows in the churches. He's like, if they're under 60 years old, cross them off the list. They're going to want to go get married. They're going to be wanton. They're going to go around from house to house. Let no church give any money to those people in need, right? Let their families take care of them if they're older. And even then he says if they're older, if they've shown themselves in good works, they've washed the feet of others, they live a life of faith, they're like these upstanding moral spiritual women who are widows, then he's like, then the church can pay for them. But until then, let it be their family. And if they're out being wanton, well, they're going to do that and let them go live in sin in that way. Right? And how often do people, I remember where people would come to the church looking for handouts. And that's okay. That's what the, their church is supposed to have enough money in its pocket to give to others. In fact, the New Testament says, even personally, work diligently with your hands. Why? Not that you'd be rich and have a million bucks in the bank, but that you might provide for others. That you'd be able to give to others, but that you might even also have your own business that other people can work for. But back to the handouts, when people would come in for handouts, we'd have a worksheet to go with them to go through with them to see if they really had a need or not. You know, sometimes they come in and they'd have these huge car payments. They're like, well, I need money. Well, you could probably get a cheaper car. So why don't we help you sell your car and go get a cheaper car and then you'll have the money. Well, no, 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 I can't do that. I got to have my Lexus. Well, that's the thing. I can remember being younger and single and making a, a decent amount of money and still being broke from week to week because I didn't know how to manage my stuff as well. Um, as I do now, my wife might say, you're not managing it well this week. You overdrew the card this week. I don't know what happened. First time in decades that I've overdrawn an account. Thankfully, we had another account that had cash in it that I could cover it. But my point is that if you're lazy, even nature would speak against you. You know, if, if an animal's lazy, if a bear doesn't want to go eat, if he just wants to hibernate all year, the bear's going to die. And really, there's not going to be much difference between you and them. So don't be a sluggard. And go on. Verse 9 says, how long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise out of sleep? Maybe my mom would have said that to me when I was in high school, sleeping 14, 16 hours, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber. This is sort of a riddle to remember. I remember this. Anytime I want to sleep in, God lets me remember this verse. And sometimes I go, okay, Lord, and I go back to sleep on the weekend. But in the weekdays, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. You know, you ever wake up and you go, ah, oh, so comfortable and just... I don't sleep on my back. I sleep on my stomach. I don't, I don't like fold my hands together. But I tell you, when I want to sleep in and I wake up in the morning, sometimes I just naturally want to fold my hands together on my stomach. Ah, just like this says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands together. You're laying your head down. So will your poverty come upon you like a stalker and your need as an armed man. Who wants to be robbed, right? Who wants to have someone, some bandit, with a, a COVID mask on and a knife come up and mug you outside the supermarket. Well, that's what Solomon is saying is going to happen to you if you're lazy. If you sleep in instead of going to work. If I keep sleeping in every morning, my boss is not going to be as gracious to me tomorrow as he was today. Eventually, it'll cost me my job. And eventually, if my laziness costs me my job, well, we're not going to have money for food. And that's going to be like an armed man coming out. All of a sudden, we're going to look and there's not going to be any money and there's not going to be any food in the cabinets. And sometimes that thought alone scares me enough to get me up out of bed and not fold my hands together and go to work. Sometimes that's the motivation we need, right? 
And the world is kind of against that motivation these days. The world doesn't like any fear. The world doesn't like any shame. And, and not that we should live in shame or live in fear, but sometimes that natural going, I, if I don't work, if I don't go to work today, I'm not going to get a paycheck and I'm not going to eat is the kind of motivation we need to get our behinds out of bed in the morning. And so that's what Solomon says. You know, it's okay to sleep. And also the Bible says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. So if you work hard, you deserve your sleep. But man, I know that when I'm being lazy, all I want to do is stay in bed and not get out of bed. And there's so much more we could be doing with our lives. And one more point with that at night, you know, I could just want to sit and watch TV all the time. Right. But I tell you, getting up and going out and working in the yard on top of work, working on the house on top of work, working on cars on top of work, making it not something I have to do, but something I get to do and something I'd rather do than, than sit around and do nothing has paid dividends. We can afford things we couldn't afford before. We can have a new kitchen that we would never been able to afford before. Yeah, it's not the nicest kitchen in the world, but it's a lot nicer than it was. Why? Because we put sweat equity into it. Same thing with the cars. Because I'm able to fix the cars, I don't have to pay for someone else to fix them. And every time I have to do a repair that I need to buy a new tool, while buying that new tool instead of paying someone else to do it, now provides me equity, now provides me money in the bank, now provides me something I wouldn't have had before because I'm more self-reliant. And that all comes through the Lord. I couldn't have done with the Lord without the courage to do it. I'm not saying everyone needs to fix their car, everyone needs to redo their kitchen, but I guarantee that God has put opportunities before you in your life either to do work at a job or to be responsible and take care of things in ministry, to take care of things around your home, to be handy, to be savvy, whether it's couponing, whether it's, I don't know, I don't, it's hard for me to think of other things, but maybe it's just being responsible. And when you see that piece of trash on the floor, instead of walking by it 10 times, pick it up the first time and then you'll pick up something next time. You know, I'm going on a tangent, but if I go downstairs, I, if I have to bring something down with me, I try and bring it down. I put stuff on the stairs that I find downstairs. And then when I go to come upstairs, I bring them all up like cups or dishes because there's always something to do. And if you don't stay on top of it, well, it's going to be on top of you. And, and nobody likes that, but I think you get the point where I'm going there. So don't be lazy. Don't be a lazy bones. It's okay to rest and it's okay to work. And the Bible says not to overwork, but at the same time that there's a, that that's a main way God takes care of us is by being responsible with what we're given. And that includes our time and our effort. You like that? Yeah. Let's go on. Now we're going to change gears here. A wayward person, verse 12, a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He motions with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken without remedy. Just think about I don't know, better call Saul, Saul Goodman. But think about the con man. Think about the slick used car dealer. Think about that person who's, uh, he's walking with a perverse mouth. He's always saying something a little off. He's always saying a joke that's a little dirty. He's always being led by, it's interesting, he says walks with a perverse mouth. That His words kind of lead him. He kind of does what he says, but not in a good way, right? He's kind of snaky. He's kind of oily. Uh, maybe it's a person. He winks with his eyes. You know, he's always got that, hey, you know. I got something else going on. You know, I wink my kids and tell them I love them, but you know, that kind of wink like, Hey, don't let them know. You know, we got this deal. And as soon as they turn around, I wink at you to know that we're in on it. He signals with his feet. He's kind of making motions that 
to tell the person behind him what's going on or, you know, uh, to, to get it over on the person in front of him. Motion with his fingers that he devises mischief continually and he sows discord. This is a big one. This is a big one in the church. Sowing discord. You know, a farmer goes out and sows seed in the yard. We don't so much do that anymore, so I think there's a disconnect. But you go around and you say little things. You say little things. You put little things out there. You say it everywhere you go. A little thing. Oh, did you hear what this person did? I can't believe this. I don't like that. And you start sowing seeds of discord. And the Bible says that we shouldn't do that as believers. That we sow those little seeds. All of a sudden, you know, when you gossip about somebody, it changes the other person's perspective of them. And can down, those little things might stick forever. Immediately, you're going to start thinking different and talking different. Right? Not that we shouldn't call things out that are off. Like if there was some snaky guy, I might say, hey, watch out for this person, right? But at the same time, man, we got to be careful as believers because that the enemy loves to do that, to bring division and, and let that not be on our account. You know, I remember real quick, I remember Pastor Chuck and the guys at his church, if they began to say anything about someone else in leadership, they'd bring him right away and be like, I can't believe Pastor Chuck did that. Oh, yeah, let's go talk to him right now. And he drag him right in the office. Be like, Pastor Chuck, this is what he just said. And have him say it. You know that, hey, don't sow discord. Immediately get to it. But living a life that way, where you're always lying, you're always deceitful, it will catch up with you. It may not be right away, but it's, you're really digging your own grave when you do that. Whether it comes in, no one wants to have a deep relationship with you or can tell you, important things you know no one want, no one likes to be taken advantage of uh, you know business or personally verse 16 these six things the lord hates yes seven are an abomination to him a proud look a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked imaginations feet that are swift and running to mischief and a false witness who speaks lies and he who sows discord among the brethren that God says things are an abomination, you know, sin and God can't be together, right? God knows what sin is. God knows the knowledge of good and evil, but it doesn't lead him to sin. It doesn't corrupt him to know about it. He doesn't do it. It doesn't change his nature to know that sin exists. Um, in fact, he's a, strong enough to take it on himself and come back to life after it killed him. But he says there are some things that are worse than others. Some things or an abomination, and we won't get into it now, but there's several things that God talks about an abomination, and these things God hates. Proud look, lying tongue, you know, that God is not proud, God tells the truth, hands that shed innocent blood, right? There's nothing, it's one thing to go to battle and have to shed blood to protect someone or protect liberty or to fight for what's right, but to kill someone that's innocent, um, knowingly, uh, God hates that. Uh, think about abortion, Roe versus Wade, right? A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and running to mischief. Man, I can remember being with friends and as soon as someone would bring up something that we like to do that wasn't good, we'd all run out to do it. <laughs> What's the quickest way we can get out the door to do this? And, and there are people like that to do worse things than, than, I, than I was involved with. But the worst thing, I think, especially because we're all believers here, is like we talked about a minute ago, sowing discord among the brethren. God hates that. God talks about not, uh, Paul says to Timothy in the uh, pastoral epistles, 
not to take word against an elder without two or three witnesses. You have something bad to say about a pastor or an elder? Well, it might be true, but don't tell me unless you've got two or three witnesses that come with you. Why? Because it's, all it is is sowing discord. All it is is gossip. gossip. Right, if they're doing something wrong and they're doing something out there, God's got a method for dealing with it and going through it and taking it to them and bringing a friend. If they don't hear, bring the church. Uh, bring the church leadership. If they don't hear, bring them before the church, right? But a lot of times we, we just like to gossip. We just like to put others down, especially those in leadership, because we hold them up and we expect more from them rightly. But man, if something's really going on, let's not just backbite about each other. Even if it's true, is it really necessary to talk about, right? Uh, maybe if it comes up naturally. But man, if something's going on with, with a pastor in your church and it's serious, deal with it. But don't just go around and say, hey, did you hear pastor so-and-so did this or they're into this? Bring it to them and bring it to others in, in God's way. You know, we don't, Satan's the one who wants to divide the church. And there's healthy division and unhealthy division, but man, don't be the one who sows that discord. God hates it. It's an abomination to him. Why? Because it's one spirit, one father, one gift, one salvation. We're all equal at the cross, and he doesn't want anyone to be cut off from that. There's got to be a place for repentance, but let's go on. Uh, verse 20, my son, he goes back to that. Keep your father's commandment. Even if your father's goofy, even if your father messes up himself, it doesn't mean his commandments are wrong and should listen to them. Do not forsake the instruction of your mother. Sometimes mommy might nag you over and over to do it, but listen to her instruction. You know, mommy instructs you guys, you're in homeschool. Listen to it. You know, right now you might go, oh, mom, come on. But I guarantee as you get older, you're going to go, wow, my mom was right. I, I should listen to her. And you're going to find... Like the Bible says, as you obey your parents' commands, you're going to find blessing in it. It's going to be good for you. Like wisdom, listen to your parents. can be a good thing. You know, believe it or not, they're wise. Uh, bind them continually upon your heart and tie them about your neck. Keep them close. Don't put it in your pocket where it's going to fall out. Don't leave yourself a sticky note. Tie it on your neck. Put it in a necklace. Put it in your heart. When you go... They will lead you. One day when it's your turn to go out of the house, I remember the first time I drove without my mom in the car. I remember going down Paddington Square and up the hill and I kept looking over going, she's not here. She's not here. She's not here. I didn't have to, you're going to hit the curb. Slow down. Watch out. You know, she's not here. And I floored it. I was like, yeah, she's not here. But sincerely, she had, you know, I don't know if my mom was the best person to teach me driving, but she was definitely cautious, more cautious with me than she was with herself. Um, but man, it was good. When I go, when you leave, when you go out of the house, you're going to have to remember things that mommy and I taught you. Whether it's just how to get home, whether it's your home address. You drive out of here, but you don't remember the roads to get back, you'll never get back. They will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. How many times you hear, oh man, I remember my mom said that, or my dad said that, or someone important in your life said something and it guides you in a situation. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and reproofs of instruction, sometimes reproofs, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to be corrected, but sometimes we need to be. They're the way of life. If you want to go in the good way, you want to live a full life, let yourself be taught. Let yourself be instructed. 
let yourself learn the right, you know, if my kids keep getting new Legos and it's awesome, if they never read the instructions, they would never have the full set. Even if they looked at the box and tried to figure it out, it would never be exactly the way the set was intended. And that's the way God has for our life. He gives us instruction that we might be able to put our life together in a way that's good, in a way that makes sense, in a way that's healthy, in a way that's prosperous and profitable. Not that that's what we live for, but that it's a blessing of following him. But he says that here we go, 24 is pivoting here, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure, let her allure you with her eyelids. You know, she blinks her eyes really quick with the fake lashes and the eye makeup. Don't let a pretty girl come get your attention. Because if she's getting your attention, I guarantee she's going after the attention of not just you and any other guy out there. And if she's overly worried about her outward appearance, well, she's probably also giving that away to other guys, whether you like it or not. You know, sometimes I see boyfriends and girlfriends, husband and wives, I'm like, you don't mind that your spouse is dressed like that? That there's nothing private between you two that she's sharing it with the whole world? Don't lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with your eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will prey upon uh, his precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he who goes into his neighbor wife, whoever touches her, will not be innocent. A lot of times, people go to what's what's close to them. Somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody at church, even your next door neighbor, right? Don't go over there. Stay away from that porch. You know that was David's problem, right? He was king. He wasn't out of battle. Uriah was a good man out of battle, and his wife, well, she didn't have discretion. What's she doing bathing on the rooftop? Who puts a bath on the roof? I mean, I don't know Jewish custom, but, you know, I, I, I would close the, the blinds before I take a bath. No one wants to see this, but maybe you are attractive. Don't go up on the rooftop. You know, have some discretion, right? Whether, I almost have a feeling like maybe she, like, liked it like the you know the possibility of somebody seeing her but don't go near that don't go by that why because it reduced you to a piece of bread how many people go off and get involved with someone else and leave their family and they end up losing their their livelihood they're, they've lost their honor they've lost their job they've lost their family and now they owe all this money to their wife who took their estate <laughs> and they're reduced to a crumb of bread why because of some cheap woman some woman that didn't cost you anything to be involved with it cost you everything to be involved with, rather. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But if he is found, he will restore sevenfold. He will give the, all the substance of his house. That You know, if someone steals a piece of bread, it doesn't make the stealing right. A lot of, that seems to be the excuse of our day and age. Oh, well, I was hungry, so there's nothing wrong with it. Don't charge him. Well, you still shouldn't steal. That's taking from somebody, right? Are you stealing because you really have a need or are you stealing because you just don't want to work? I don't know. But we don't despise them. We understand it, right? They had a need. They fell to the temptation to steal and they did it. I, under, I understand it. I can't imagine being that hungry where I'd be led to steal. But at the same time, like, it doesn't make stealing right. And it says that when he's found, he's still got to pay it back. Remember with David and uh, Samuel... 
He said, he used the, the thought about lambs. He was stealing someone else's lamb and taking someone else's to sacrifice when talking about uh, David and uh, Bathsheba taking his neighbor's wife. He goes on and says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does it destroys his own soul. A lot of people do it because they want to better themselves. They want something better than they have, but it's destroying their soul. The Bible says that you know, all sin is outside the body is except for sexual immorality. That is in your own body. That hurts yourself. That's sin, in a sense, against yourself, not to mention God and others around you. A wound and dishonor will he get, and reproach will not be wiped away. You know, that people see it, especially if someone is in ministry and they fall. It's always on them. That's in a relationship, like we talked about last week. How hard is it to wipe that away? Verse 34, for jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, nor will he rest content, though you give him many gifts. Right? If that were to happen in my life, no one could ever pay me to... The guy could never give me enough money, enough things, to ever fix what was wrong, to ever write what was wrong, to ever make it up to me. And someone else... Jealousy is the rage of man. Jealousy is right in that situation. There are people who are over-jealous. But man, when something like that happens, to tell someone not to be jealous, well, that's what it is. And the Bible even says that God is a jealous God. And God is not sinful when he's jealous, but he just wants the best for us. He wants us not to be taking these things that are going to destroy us, that are going to destroy our marriage, or going to destroy our business, or destroy our relationships. Ultimately, our relationship with him and that's why he gives us this wisdom. And that's why Solomon is giving it to his son. That man, I want, the, I want to give you all the wisdom now when you're a young son. That as you grow up, you wouldn't make those mistakes. You wouldn't have to pay those penalties. You wouldn't have those regrets. And that's the same thing with God. He wants us to go through life with instruction, with wisdom. That we wouldn't have to learn the hard way. And learning the hard way, I, t- I tend to learn the hard way by experience, right? And there's a faster way. It's by reading it's by being instructed first before you go out and do so man as we go out in life let us take hold of wisdom let us not let go of it let us remember the things we learned growing up let us remember the things that the bible teaches us and we hear um and sometimes even god just reminds us and i side note as you know i know that there's a lot of times when we or face temptation god will remind us God will remind us, hey, I'm here. Hey, don't do that. Hey, the Bible says this, and we keep going. You know, listen to that voice. Don't ignore that still small voice. Don't go down those paths that you know are wrong and stay away from them. In fact, when you've already done the wrong thing, learn from it, run away from it, get yourself out of it, go the right way. There's, the Bible says there's always a way out. And the best way out is to never go in. So, With that being said, Lord, help us to retain wisdom. Let us be wise by receiving instruction through your word from others that we respect and trust from those around us. Let us even take a rebuke from someone who we don't respect or we don't like. Sometimes, Lord, you use the world to rebuke us. I remember you did that for me right before I came to the Lord, and it was right before I came to you, Lord, and it was uh, instrumental. Uh, So, God, let us um, be humble and eat that crow when it's needed. Uh, But God, thankful that you're always there to pick us up, to dust us off, to restore us, as the Bible says, to restore those years the locusts have eaten, to give us new life 
new relationships, fixed things, resurrected things. Uh, but God, most of all in this, let us uh, be heavenly wise to put all our treasure in heaven. Let that be our focus and let everything else fall in line to that. So God, we thank you for that. Thank you for your word and that you give it freely. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. And amen. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.